Hello and welcome to Biz Trains 2023. I'm Rutendo Nyamuda and I feel so honored to be welcoming you and hosting Biz Trains for the third year in a row. This year, Biz Trains focuses on big impact. The theme was chosen because of the exciting impact that societal, cultural and environmental factors can have on our business strategy and how the corresponding corporate action increasingly impacts on environmental, cultural and societal outcomes. Impact itself, we believe, is a huge trend wave that organizations are gearing up to ride. So welcome to BizTrains 2023, the year of big impact. To throw his light on the topic is Dion Chang, one of South Africa's best-known trained analysts and consultants. Dion is the founder of executive trend consultancy Flux Trends, author, columnist, and trend strategist, contributing his thought leadership at business schools and management level across the globe. Dion, we're so delighted to have you back as headline act on BizTrends for another year to share with us the big impact of the great unraveling and the rise of the machines. Welcome, Dion Chang. We are exceedingly and extremely excited to have you on BizTrends 2023. Welcome. Hi, Rotendo, and lovely to speak to you again. Fantastic. So, Dion, your flux trained briefing, the state we're in, has to be one of the most phenomenal reports I ever read uh, so far this year. And what you actually speak about is the great unraveling um, and how in 2022 there was actually the sense of loss of reality. But in general, right now in the world, there is this unraveling. What exactly do you mean by the great unraveling? All right, so the um, Collins Dictionary word of the year last year was uh, permacrisis, and uh, they started Davos um, in 2023 talking about polycrisis. So in essence, uh, permacrisis or polycrisis just denotes that we're almost in a constant state of crises. Um, and it's felt like that for, for, for the past three years. I think last year was meant to be this year of recalibration. We were sort of coming easing out of the pandemic, things were opening up again and things were gonna be all hunky-dory and okay. Then we had a war, uh, which is still going on. Um, we've had supply chains that are being disrupted. So, uh, and we've just seen economies all around the world. Uh, inflation's going through the roof. Uh, South Africa has its own uh, charming problems with uh, energy. Um, so it just kind of continues. So we are adapting in essence uh, to this, this feeling of permacrisis. Uh, but for me, if I step back and look and just sort of all the trends we've tracked over the years, um, the you know the great unraveling, what I want to point out is the permacrisis doesn't just happen in isolation. Um, it is a steady, uh, you know, th th there's a whole lot of disparate things that go wrong. So the whole sum of it uh, is, is kind of bigger than, than the, the smaller crisis we see. But for me, from a trends point of view, is we're starting to see old systems fundamentally break down, break away. So uh, parts of the economy, the world of work, I do a lot of stuff with corporates in terms of, um, you know, whether it's uh, remote working, four-day work week, quiet quitting, all of those kind of trends that were at the, you know, that came up last year. Um, but these are all indications that systems that should be, be replaced uh, um, are being replaced. And what we're seeing is a lot of resistance to that. So there's a lot of kicking of a, of a dying horse, so to speak, um, to resist those, those, those kind of things. But the unraveling is happening and that's what we are feeling uh, 
um, around us, uh, not in South Africa, but around the world. Mm. It's very interesting you speak about those old systems and in this world of AI and chat GPT and remote working, we really had to almost just dive in and get used to it very quickly. Um, one of the things I want to touch on from your report is you also mentioned factors such as an algorithm that won an art contest. And we're looking at things like dark advertising and how it's stalking us, ongoing conversations about whether the metaverse is a thing or isn't a thing. And are these some of the aspects that are actually, actually contributing to the poly crisis? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think what we start to see is that advancement of tech. Um, and even during the pandemic, you know, one of the, the previous statements that we, we put out was the fact that um, a contactless economy started to grow. So we were in lockdown. Uh, we started getting used to more online shopping, e-commerce. That really sort of, uh, you know, uh, grew exponentially. And But within that, we started relying a lot more on the machine. So that was more sort of automation, robotics all of those kind of things. And if the metaverse was the big topic last year, then AI and generative AI specifically, like ChatGPT, as you mentioned, is going to be the, the, the really big thing. And, and the little things that, that are in that report are just those blimps on the radar, which are gonna get louder and louder and louder. So, you know, not only um, did an AI win an art competition, you started to see generative AI before ChatGPT was, was launched, and now it's very in a very, very short space of time. I mean, literally two months, uh, people are saying, I, I saw something on Twitter saying, well, you know, if you're in a work mode and you use chat GPT to become more efficient, so generative AI makes you more efficient. But if somebody in school asks the chat GPT to write uh, an answer for something, that means you're cheating. And his, he was saying, we have to rethink education, which does yeah. beg a question. So all of these if you aren't getting rid of or exiting an old system, you are going to be challenged by all these new technologies to, to make that switch and, and look for different solutions as well. Mm. And thank you so much for pointing out some real um, kind of examples that we can look into, because the reality is, and to your point, um, these are things that are impacting our day-to-day -day lives. And it's almost like if you don't get on board, you will risk being left behind. You spoke a little bit about resistance. Um, what is the actual impact that this is having on people's personal lives, businesses, and how are people responding? So that's, a, that's an interesting question because it's a lot of people just look at the, the technologies. But when I talk about systems, it is to say the whole, the whole foundation of which corporate works uh, workforce to stand on so a nine to five 40 hour work week you come into a location based uh, headquarters uh, it's bumps on seats we can see you which means uh, you know a nine to five uh, work hour means you have that much productivity and everybody in an office uh, knows that that's not true so it's also just different ways of doing things so, so your different systems not necessarily the the technology technology will enable that but there are a lot of different systems that we're starting to, to have to question. So it's it, exactly that in terms of uh, workforces or the future of work. Um, most of my conversations with our clients last year was about um, switching from time-based management 
to say, okay, well, you know, these hours equals so much productivity to more outcome-based uh, systems to say, I want this delivered on this date. I don't care when you do it, how you do it. Um, just give me the best work and deliver it on that day. And we're starting to see the convergence of, say, a younger Gen Z workforce that is already sort of coming into the workplace. That is the mindset that they are, are, are used to and want to work with. So it's not a fact that this new generation has to adapt to an old system. It is more for me an old system that has to relook a better way of doing things and a more efficient way of doing things. And, and those are what's uh, what's bubbling up now. It's very, very interesting you mentioned that because um, all across social media, you're seeing Gen Z starting to enter the workforce and there are all these memes and you know parodies and sketches of the balance between Gen Z and more older generations and what's happening in the workforce. And it's very interesting, some of those aspects that you mentioned, is, it, you know, it's not necessarily a case of Gen Z adapting to the way things used to be, but more of how historical companies of these major corporations who had these, you know, very expensive, um, you know, leases or, or actual buildings that they rented. Now we're even looking at aspects of going remote work, work from home, um, outcome-based outcomes based um, work which you've spoken about, which is absolutely incredible because a number of people have side hustles and are using all of these different systems and technology. So while it is still very exciting, it's also uh, a bit daunting, I think, for people who aren't necessarily used to that. Um, how would you actually recommend that um, brands help and almost reassure people um, about you know, the, the way that things are starting to move and progress, because it can be something that you you almost could say to yourself, that's not for me. Um, I'm just going to stick to the way that things are. Um, but how do brands need to, or how can they rather reassure people that the world is still a great place, a cool place, and you've kind of just got to go with the flow? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, the, the whole concept of mass customization uh, started creeping in, you know, uh, in the past decade or so, five years ago. Uh, where it was more about product. So, you you know, you customize um, an outfit, a T-shirt, a bag, or whatever for, for that customer. And even, say, five years ago, people said, no, it's not possible to do mass customization. But now, with new technologies, automation, all of those kind of things, we know that that's, that's, that's really possible. So it's to take that thought about mass customization into, from a product into a, into a service because the, the, the reality is, and I know a lot of people who are watching this are going to say, well, we don't have the manpower to do that, or the people power, let's say that, uh, to, to be able to do that. It's a lot more work. It's a lot more resources. But unfortunately, we are in that phase where you need to customize a service for, for different uh, different parts of your, your demographics that you, that you serve. It is, so to put it in another way, it's, you know, you, uh, we talk into, when I talk to leadership in terms of corporate, you talk about ambidextrous leadership. So you have to bring in new concepts, new technologies and everything, but you've got to keep steering the ship and you, so you don't lose that institutional memory and that, and that knowledge. So the same thing with brands and marketing um, is you have to kind of keep the ship afloat. You have to keep the core, whatever your core customer is. If it's an older customer, you've got to keep them happy, but you still have to bring in new systems, new technologies so that you can remain competitive. Otherwise, you're going to eat your competitor's dust um, if you if you don't do that. So it's a very, very delicate balance to be able to do that. But things are changing so rapidly that to not be able to even attempt some kind of ambidextrous uh, leadership 
is going to be very, very detrimental to to your business or to to your brand. And and I think what you just touched on there is is you know how do you almost reassure people in this era of of unraveling that things are okay uh, and everything. So you know we've we've understood in the past couple of years that if you solve a problem, you've got a business. So now that mantra of solving a problem is just ramped up. It has to be core and center of everything you do. Not to say, you know, disregard what products you sell, but really, really that service, the more we go online, the more we have a contactless economy within retail, the more you have to up those service levels and make sure whatever touch points you have are going to be serviced as well. So if it's whether it's an online uh, e-commerce order or somebody that comes into a bricks and mortar space, that level of service, that seamlessness um, and that intuitive way of just dealing with a, a going through a, a sale or something like that has to really, really be there. So we've been advocating for our clients in the last, yeah, ever since the, the pandemic really uh, struck is to really invest in, in UX, your user experience, you know, whether it's online, training staff, um, uh, offline, all of those kind of things, that becomes hyper important in an era of polycrisis or perfect crisis. Mm, very interesting. And as corporates and brands and companies start to join the bandwagon and start to implement all of these innovations, ultimately, what is the economic knock-on effect? All right, so that one's oh gosh, that's uh, a multi-layered question because so so overall we know that economies are battered. It's it's kind of post-pandemic uh, recovery, but now it's also the global effect of of a war. But now it is also on top of that is we are seeing twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two was very clear in terms of Mother's Nature's messaging that climate change is not something that a tree hacker or some activist is, is shouting about. It is starting to impact our supply chains. It's starting to impact the way in which we uh, you know, uh, are able to, to move things around the place. In South Africa, we've just seen um, you know, cold storage with uh, load shedding and everything is impacting your agricultural sector, not only sort of the, your fruits and vegetables, but also chickens. So, you know, the culling of little chicks because you can't keep them warm with incubators, all of those kind of things. This becomes challenge upon challenge upon challenge. So it, it becomes a really, really, really big way of, of having to deal with uh, with those problems. But in terms of, you know, finding solutions for that is to, to not only look at, at, at broader innovations around the world, but to, to understand that you are also part of a big, big network because, you know, we would not have sort of put together um, the problem with chickens or something and there's an egg shortage. It's called eggflation around the world as well. That's not only from, uh, you know, the, the um, uh, shortage of energy, but it's also about avian flu. So we're getting diseases, we're getting climate change, we're getting all of these things. So it's really coming at people from, from every single direction. And you have to be, I don't like using the word because I think South Africans are tired of being called resilient, but you have to be ultra resilient and you've got to keep thinking ahead and just keep one one step ahead of the pace and track for whatever solutions that you, you are. It's, it's, it's not going to help you to sit by and complain that all of these changes are happening. You have to engage, you have to, to, to find out uh, what can I do about it, uh, whatever small way I can. Most mm, definitely. And when it comes to, you know, uh, techn technological changes or changes in technology and developments, 
sometimes it's easy to say, oh, that's something that's happening overseas or that's happening in a different country. Um, how does South Africa compare to the rest of the world or to the world at large when it comes to these technological advancements? So, so in some respects, yes, it's true that we, we lag a little bit behind, but then in other respects, we leapfrog. So specifically FinTech, uh, that we, 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 we've left from there, we have very, very different problems and, and major problems. Uh, you know, so ironically, um, the shortage of energy, load shedding, all of those kind of things um, we've experienced on, on the African continent. So in a lot of respects, we have solutions which the developed world don't do. And it's very ironic that uh, you're getting, mm -hmm. because of power supplies and gas supplies, you know, people to say, conserve energy, uh, you know, um, in, in Europe, conserve water. You know, Cape Town went through 2018 with uh, you know almost uh, no, no water of that year. So we're actually uh, launching a, an innovation tour to say to come to Africa to see the future because we've had to deal with solution-based innovation much on a much higher level than the developed world really, really has. So we actually have some solutions to that. So that being said, yes. We do lag behind in something. Sometimes we don't have the resources or the infrastructure to be able to do things, but we will find a different way of doing things. But don't ever, ever assume that Africa lags so behind so you can just rest on your laurels and say, okay, no, that's fine. People aren't going to you know, uh, adopt to this, this new technology or new system. Uh, people will. And specifically, if I go back to my, my passion, uh, your Gen Z, those are, that's the generation that is going to be the change makers. They are going to make those, those, those big changes. They're going to leapfrog those technologies. And we're starting to see them, if we just go on to a leadership point of view, you mentioned that they are you know, fully coming into the, the workforce. But what we've noticed and what we're picking up is that Gen Z, more than millennials, are actually going into government and into policy making in a much earlier age than millennials were. So you have this young generation who is very passionate about social justice, um, all of those kind of uh, barometers, climate change, everything, but they are moving a lot quicker into those corridors of power to be able to, to make change and not just uh, protest from, from armchairs. So, Dion, you mentioned something really interesting, and that is how Gen Z is entering government and more of the activism spaces earlier than previous generations. And one of those um, areas of focus is climate change. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in that space? Sure. I think um, it's it's been a remarkable switch uh, or a flipping of, um, I think, public opinion. So if you think about it, I, I call 2020 the year of the pandemic. And 2021 was the year um, that we realized climate change was very, very real. And then it moved on into 2022. So 2022 has been um, really seen as, as, as a pivotal year in terms of extreme weather. So we, you know, and, and if you just think back, say, four years, just before the pandemic, um, you know, uh, Greta Thunberg was seen as this whiny teenager. It's like, oh, you know, really just uh, go and protest somewhere else. To suddenly in 2022, people understanding that you, you know, if your roads start melting, you can't get supplies to whatever the destination, um, you know, the, the coal chain is, is affected, uh, freezing pipes stop, say, milk production. 
um, the, the, the human cost. I mean, in Pakistan, I think 33 million people were displaced um, in their floods. And we know what's happening in, in, in KwaZulu-Natal here as well. So it's become a very, very real thing. And I think for people to, to kind of see climate change still as a, a bit of a sort of a tree-hugging exercise and, yeah, it's not really going to happen to us and it's not going to affect us, we have been given a very, very definite uh, packet of evidence to say it is actually um, undermining the bottom line of, of many, many companies. So especially uh, the brands and, and things that this community uh, work with, it's really, really important. It's not just a distant uh, way of doing things. It really affects people. It affects people, like I say, in terms of disaster management, in terms of, of flooding. Um, insurance premiums have shot through the roof because people are now starting to see um, there's claims, you know, for, for flooding, for, for, for car accidents that happened during, uh, you know, flooding, all of those kind of things. So it's, it's affecting business in a very, very visceral way. So we can't ignore climate change uh, anymore. And especially in terms of, you know, once you get into a corporate or a multinational level, those companies can't just say, oh, we'll just kind of tick some boxes and our ESG ratings are going to be okay because you will be found out and you will be named for for greenwashing uh, or whatever other washing you want to, 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 to name. So I think that's also very, very pivotal in 2023 that we, we can't ignore because it's it's become um, a great disruptor in our lives. So so, so natural world uh, being a big disruptor rather than technology being the biggest disruptor. Mm. And what are some practical steps that perhaps a corporate who wasn't as climate uh, conscious um, as, as they possibly could be right now, but what are some practical steps that they can take uh, in the short term to help with climate change? I think it's really to, to try as best to, to, to reduce or, or, or up those sustainability goals. We're seeing, especially in the fast fashion sector, uh, they've been in the crosshairs for the past three years um, anyway. And we're seeing this, the kind of wastage. We're seeing a lot of new ways of repurposing, reselling, uh, trying to use sustainable things, circular economies, all of those kind of things to, to, to be put into that, specifically in a fast fashion um, environment. And I think those things are, are really important because the more, if you look at it demographically, and we go back to Gen Zs again, if you look at the, the, the spending power of who's coming into, uh, you know, uh, into, into that, that shopping area, the, the consumer area, are your Gen Zs. They are uh, part of the workforce. They're earning their own money. They're going to spend, but they're spending very, very differently than a Gen X or an or older generation. So again, you, you, this is your new customer. Uh, they're very, very different. Uh, they'll they look at rewards, benefits, everything in terms of work very differently, but they will also be very, very different consumers. And you can't use the same old, same old kind of marketing strategies to appeal to, mm -hmm. to this generation because um, they will shout you out and they will, they will call you out on something. That is very interesting. It's going to be very fascinating to see what a world led by Gen Z looks like in the future. Um, I'd be interested to know, um, in your report, The State We're In, what was the most surprising thing uh, that, you, that you saw come out of the briefing? I think it was the, the kind, and I think it happened really subtly. So, so um, you know, I mentioned that the, the, the pandemic sort of grew a, a contactless economy. 
Um, and uh, we started just allowing the algorithms, the automation to kind of take over there. And I think what really came out for me was the fact that with the world in such disarray, with this unraveling, um, you started to see people's attention kind of move to, to just surviving and, and, and finding new solutions for that. And within that space, we just allowed the tech to kind of slip in through the back door and, and kind of take over. So for me, what it, it wasn't so much that the, the tech was in there, in the room, but it was how much do we want uh, tech to design the future rather than us being proactive about it and not just relying on the tech to, to be able to do that. So that's why the, you know, the, the report is about the, the great unraveling, but also the rise of the machines, because you're really, really seeing the rise of the machines to do that. And it's good and bad. So you, you know, we talked about uh, ChatGPT, so, so that you can generate things really, really quickly. But on the other hand, you can also see um, algorithms that will pay out for disaster funding uh, from climate change. So you've got, you know, hurricanes and, and, and things there. Because of the technology, you can map this via satellite and AI will know that this area is completely devastated. So you you can have, a, a, you know, some, some kind of artificial intelligence that just says, okay, release disaster funding to people in that area and it can be done um, automatically. So there's good and bad sides uh, to it. We're at such a new stage of all of this stuff is there's a double-edged sword with everything. So, so um Venture forth, embrace it, but uh, with a little bit of reservation. Mm. And then final question is, when it comes back to the marketing and communications industry in general, do you feel that these crises are going to show and um, are we going to see a breakthrough in the thinking, in the innovation and how people are approaching marketing and communications? I think definitely, because, you know, we've always said, especially with the rise of social media over the last decade, you know, you will sniff inauthenticity a mile away, um, you know, on social media, whether it's an influencer, influencer on Instagram or something, you know, trying to you know, push a product without being, seeming that they're being paid for it. People will sniff that inauthenticity a mile away. So I think what is required now is brands really, really looking at that solution solving uh, way of doing things. So it's not just to push a product onto me. Don't try and sell me something. Don't give me hard sell. Tell me how you're going to fix something um, and tell me how it's going to make the world um, a, a better place and, and help the world's problems. And I think um, especially, I'll go back to, to, to Gen Z again, you're starting to see if, if this generation is coming of age, has come of age during the pandemic and that social justice barometer is so high, the the way in which marketers and brands are pushing up messages we've already seen that there's changes in which uh, there's pushback and how how things are done but with permit crisis and an unraveling you really need brands to say i'm on your side i'm helping you i'm not just trying to pimp a product to you and i'm not just trying to sell something to you i really want to be part of that solution there and i think that's the best way in which to do it it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to to put your product uh, in a solving problem perspective rather than just a hard sell perspective. And if you can do that, then you will gain that rare, rare, rare piece of loyalty that is so transient in this day and age. Wow. Thank you so much, Dion. This has been such a phenomenal conversation, very insightful. And I'm sure that anyone listening to this 
uh, it'll put a lot of things into perspective for them for this year and the future to come. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks for attending. Nice, nice chatting to you. Thanks for joining us for BizTrends 2023 Big Impact. Thanks to our contributors, sponsors, listeners, and readers. Catch all the trends impacting your sector on Biz throughout January.